Well, good afternoon. Let's try that again. Good afternoon. There we go. This afternoon, we are going to be speaking on the topic, Is My Faith Mine? It's a pretty difficult subject when you think about it, because as people who have been raised in the church, specifically you all who have at least been in the church for, we know today, probably a lot longer than that, uh, you have been raised by people who love you, by people who care for you, by people who want you to go to heaven. And so they have tried to instill certain ideas, certain principles into your mind, into your life to help guide you in that way. But eventually, you're going to have to do it on your own. Now, when I say do it on your own, I'm not speaking about you alone in the world and against the world. But at some point in time, you are going to have to take the faith that has been instilled in you by your parents, by your guardians, by the fellow members of the church, and you're going to have to turn it into your faith. Probably one of the most difficult things you can do as a young Christian. It was difficult for me because I came from a home where my mother was a faithful Christian, my father was not a faithful Christian, I had a lot of good influences, but I had to take the things in which I sat through, the things in which I heard, the things in which I read, and I had to turn them into what I believed in, if I even believed in them. I spent a couple months, I guess you could say, in high school looking at the options that were available to me. The options of evolution, the options of, uh, of a naturalized history or a naturalized scientific beginning. I took a look at some of the ideas that were presented through uh, the building of evolution from the Big Bang Theory moving on, how we, uh, by their estimation, came from nothing. I took a look at it from a very logical perspective. Does this make sense? And, and not only does this make sense, but does it compare to what we know is true when it comes to science? After I had gone through that and I found that those things were not the case, I found that the evidence was not there, well, really, the only other option I have is is the God of the Bible. You see, because there really are two options in this world. Some people try and slip in a third or maybe even a fourth, but there really are two. It's either God or no God. It doesn't matter how you twist it. It doesn't matter what you want to call yourself. If you want to call yourself an agnostic, an atheist, if you want to call yourself someone in between, it's either God or no God. And so the question we have for ourselves today is, as you are trying to figure these things out yourself, as you are growing, as you're trying to figure out more and more information, do you really have a faith in God? And if you have the beginnings of a faith in God, how can you turn those beginnings, those principles, those ideas into something that is your own? I want us, number one, to consider in introductions that there is a very real accountability in our world. Now, as we look at our states around us, as we look at our country around us, accountability doesn't seem to be something that important. But there is something that we have to realize. We are accountable for who we are and what we do. Open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18, and we're going to read verses 19 and 20. Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. It says, yet you say, why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Why should the son not be accountable for what the father has done? Continue reading. Because the son has done what is lawful and right and has kept my, uh, my statutes 
and observe them. He shall surely live. The soul who sinned shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. You know what that means? That means that no matter what my father has done, no matter what my mother has done, no matter what the people in my family have done, I don't have to give an answer for the guilt that may be upon their soul on the, day, on the day of judgment. But you know who I do have to answer for? Me. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. I have to answer for who I am. I have to answer for what I have done. I have to answer for the guilt that may be on my on my soul. Now I understand as we're looking at the, the people in the room here, we have some who are uh, at the age of accountability, some who have made the decision to be baptized in the Lord. We have uh, some who have not made that decision, some who may be thinking about it, some who may not even be thinking about it. You're still trying to figure out what's going on, still trying to figure out the, the nuts and bolts of Christianity. For those of us who are of accountability, we will have to answer for what we have done. Another scripture, John chapter 8. John chapter 8 and verse 24. John chapter 8 and verse 24. And I want you to notice the words that are used here by Jesus as he speaks about the people who will be able to escape sin and those who will not be able to escape sin. He says, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins for if you do not believe or have faith that I am he, the one who has been sent by God, the one who is the Messiah, you will die in your sins. Now go back with me and I want us to read it with a little bit of emphasis here. Therefore I said to you, Jesus speaking to a group of people, we reading what Jesus is saying, speaking to one another. Therefore, I said to you, put your name there. Therefore, I said to you, Justin, he continues on that if you, if you, or excuse me, I said to you that you, Justin, will die in your sins, Justin. If you, Justin, do not believe that I am he, you, Justin, will die in your sins. I wish that we could ride into heaven on the coattails of those people who are righteous. I wish we could do that because it would make my life a lot easier. I wish you could get into heaven based upon the faith of your mother, your father, or your guardian. I wish that were the case. But the reality is, according to what Ezekiel has mentioned in the Old Testament, according to what we see here in John chapter 8 and verse 24, it's not possible. I can't make it to heaven because my mom is a good Christian. I can't make it to heaven because my uncle was a faithful Christian. I can't make it to heaven because I know good Christians. You likewise cannot enter into the gates of glory unless you take the faith of your fathers and make it your own. So how do you do that? How do we turn the faith of others into the faith of our own? I have three simple points for us this morning or this afternoon. And as we go through these points, I'm going to give us a couple scriptures to help along and some, uh, some application to be made from those scriptures. Number one, you have to find the desire. I'm an all or nothing type person. If I don't want to do it, 
I'm not going to do it. If I want to do it, it doesn't matter what anybody else is saying to me. I'm going to do it. I feel like Christianity is an all or nothing situation. Not necessarily because of what I say, but remember what Jesus has said back in, in Matthew chapter 6 and in verse 24. You can't serve both God and mammon at the same time. You either love one or hate the other. You can't have it both ways. Remember what uh, the church in Ephesus was accused of about being, or excuse me, the church in Laodicea was accused of about being lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. The, with Christianity, it's, it's all or nothing. And so I'm going to say this to you right now. And it's going to seem a little harsh, but understand the point behind it. If you don't have a desire to be a faithful Christian, you're never going to be a faithful Christian. Now understand the reason why I'm saying that. It's not because I don't want you to be a faithful Christian. I want you to be a faithful Christian. But it's all or nothing. You can't just go in halfway. You can't go in 50%. You can't go in 75% or even 90-10. It's all or nothing. Take a look at what the Bible has to say. In Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, of course, is laying out the entrance of how you get into the kingdom of heaven. And, and while he's talking about this, he, he makes mention of some attitudes that you have to have. Here we would call them the Beatitudes as we're taking a look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. In verse 6 it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are those who are not kind of hungry. <laughs> Blessed are those who are not kind of thirsty. Have you ever been in a situation and went, eh, I could eat a snack? We're not talking about that type of situation. Have you ever been so hungry that it hurts your stomach, it hurts your being because you just wanted food? I've been in that situation. Have you ever been so thirsty that you felt your mouth becoming so dry that it was difficult for you to swallow, it was difficult for you to speak because you needed water that bad? Blessed are those people who hunger, who are starving for, who thirst, who are so thirsty for righteousness. If you want to have a faith of your own, you have to hunger you have to thirst, you have to desire it. If you don't desire it, I'm going to stop you before you run into the problem. You're never going to have it. Look at what is said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This goes along with our next point as well, and we'll, we'll segue into it here in a moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Starting in verse 12, there's a, a list of, of various commands in which Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica. And in verse 21, notice what he says. Test all things. Hold fast to that which is good. I have been taught a lot of things growing up in the church. I've been taught a lot of things on a variety of subjects. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage, the Holy Spirit, why we worship, why we meet Sunday morning, why we meet Sunday night. I've been taught a lot of things in the church. I have a couple options with those things. I can either take them and have a false security in the words of another person, or I can go back to God's word, I can test all things and hold fast to that which is true, or that which is able to be proven. The word of God is the source of all truth, 
The word of God is the source of all righteousness. If we are not willing to go back to the word of God, to go back to the source of truth, to go back to the source of righteousness, then we cannot ever accurately and adequately prove that which is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How many of you have been taught that we should be singing on Sundays without instrumental music? How many of you have been taught that? I'd be willing to say almost all of us, if not all of us, have been taught that. Here's the question you have to ask yourself, and this is directly applicable to our lesson. Why? Why don't we sing with instruments? Now, I'm not saying by the age of 12 or 10 you have to become Bible scholars. I'm not saying by the age of 14 or 18 you have to be the most knowledgeable Christians in the world. But why is that a practice in your faith? How many of you have been taught that Jesus Christ is your Savior? Raise your hand. Why? What did Jesus do to save you? And not just that, why do you need to be saved? Those are great questions that we have to ask, and according to what Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, we need to be able to prove. We need to be like the noble Bereans in Acts chapter 17 to compare what is said with Scripture. Not simply to just take it for what it is. I always want people, not necessarily to second guess me, but to compare what I have said with the Bible. Because when you open up your book, and you read your book, and you study your book and find the answers in your book, now you are starting to build the faith. Of your own. Number one, you have to have the desire. Number two, you have to find the evidence. Number two, you have to find the evidence. Christianity is a thinking religion. We are not a religion of drones. We are not a religion of robots. We are not a religion that simply does what we do because someone else has said so or because a group of people have been doing it for hundreds of years. We are a thinking and acting religion. We are a religion that is based upon evidence. We are not a religion that is simply based upon opinion. Look at Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We'll look at verse 1 and then we'll look at verse 3. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 and then verse 3. Notice what it says in verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is built off of evidence. Now, it is the evidence of the things that we hope for. So, as Christians, we hope to be in heaven with our Father. As Christians, we have the hope of the resurrection through Jesus Christ. As Christians, we have the hope of salvation because we've been washed with the blood of Jesus Christ. Faith is based on evidence, and the evidence is that which is able to build our hope. It is able to build our faith. Now read verse 3 with me. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. I don't know about you, I was not there on day one. I don't know what happened. I know what happened because of what is said. I know what happened because of 
what is recorded, but I wasn't there with my physical eyes. Now, the world is going to tell you, unless you can see it, taste it, touch it, hear it, or feel it, then it does not exist. Unless you can prove it empirically by their scientific method, then it cannot exist. First question I usually ask someone who has that mindset is, have you ever been to Paris? If they say no, then I know I, 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 I'm good with that location. If they say yes, I'll find another location to run into. But have you ever been to Paris? No, I haven't been to Paris. Do you believe the Eiffel Tower exists? Well, yeah, I believe it exists. How do you know it exists? If you haven't seen it, personally, if you haven't tasted it, if you haven't touched it, I don't know where you're doing all that. If you haven't heard it, smelt it, then how do you know it exists? There's evidence. I've never been to Paris, but I know the Eiffel Tower exists because there's evidence of it. There's evidence from firsthand witnesses who have been there, who have seen it. There's picture evidence of it. There is evidence from an archaeological standpoint. There's evidence from a physical standpoint. I know without a doubt that Eiffel Tower exists because of the evidence that has been presented to me. How many of you were there on the first day? I wasn't. You weren't. But read verse 3 again. By faith, by the faith we have in God, we understand that the world's were framed by the word of God. Not because I was there and saw it and heard it with my own eyes and my own ears, but because of the evidence that has been presented in this book. Because of the evidence of first-hand witnesses. Because of the evidence of God inspiring man to write things down. You have to be willing to find the evidence if you want faith. You cannot simply rely on, well, mom says, or dad says, or my guardian says. You can't simply rely on, I feel, or I think. You have to have evidence. Prove all things and hold fast to that which is true. In other words, if you can't prove it, you got to let it go. How do I know that God created the world? Because I have evidence of it. I have this figure, God, who said, let there be light, and there was light, and it was documented for me by a man by the name of Moses, and then I had the opportunity to see how this God has never lied, how he has never failed, how he has never gone back on his word, how he has never changed, how he has been the same yesterday, how he's the same today, and if he allows it, how he will be the same tomorrow. I have evidence that my God did what he said he did. But what good is your faith if you don't have evidence to back that faith up? We have to have a mindset to look for what is right. Turn over to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Here's an example of a person who, who gets a bad rap usually because of what is said, especially at the end of the context. But I appreciate his mindset to find the evidence for his faith. You had Jesus who has now been resurrected. He has come and he has shown himself to various people. He has shown himself to the apostles while this man Thomas, one of the apostles, was not around him. And so as you see in verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. 
They said, we've seen the Lord. And, and yes, you can get on to Thomas for not taking the evidence of, of firsthand witnesses. But Thomas didn't just want that evidence. He wanted a little bit more. And notice what he says here. He says, unless I see his hands, and the print of the nails, and put my finger in the print of the nails, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas, while he was lacking to a certain extent in his willingness to put faith in these others' witness or in these others' testimony, said, unless I have more evidence, I will not believe. Now continue reading. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them, and Jesus came in the door, and the door being shut, and stood in the midst and says, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your fingers here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Well, sometimes we do get on to Thomas. Jesus had a few words for him at the end here about not believing without seeing. But notice what Jesus gave him. He gave him evidence. He said, you want to believe? Here's the evidence. You want to have faith in what I've told you? You want to have faith that has ground and foundation? Here's the evidence. Look at my hands. Look at my side. Don't be unbelieving, but be believing. Thomas, after seeing this, said, My Lord, my God. Why was he able to make such declaration of faith? Because he had evidence to base that faith upon. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. And this is where it starts to come together of how we can build our own faith. God has always provided his promises to mankind, some promises to some groups, some promises to the, uh, to the others. Now he has given his promise of the Son, Jesus Christ, and salvation through his blood to all of mankind. And one thing God has always done with his promises is he has given adequate evidence to have faith in his word. God has never allowed his people to go one moment or one day without a true foundation of knowing that this God will keep his promises for me. So, how do we build this faith? Where do we find this evidence? Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? The word of God. This is where, if you will... Rubber meets the road. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by studying. Faith comes by considering. Faith comes by examining. And examining the word of God. What's the negative side of this verse? If I don't hear, if I don't examine, then I will never have faith based in the word of God. You want to have a faith of your own? I want you to have a faith on your, of your own. But if you want to have a faith of your own, you're going to have to build a desire to start to look for the evidence. Now, what is great about the church is there are a lot of people around you who will help show you the evidence. There's a lot of people around you who will give you answers for the questions that you have. 
but you need to make sure that when they are providing that help to you, you as well are opening up the book and seeing for your very own eyes. Your parents' faith means nothing to you and your entrance into heaven unless you take that faith, compare it to what Scripture says, and then hold fast to that which is true. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing what God has to say in his word, period. Okay, so we have to find the desire. We have to find the evidence. And as we find the evidence, as we open up God's word, we have to take the ideas and we have to find the faith. We have to find out what the word of God would have us to do. One of the great things about the word faith, one of the great things about the idea of faith is it's not just a mental concept. So as we are looking at this, number three, we find the faith. Not just the mental concept, but the action behind faith as well. I can tell you all day long, I'm a Christian and I believe in Jesus Christ. I can tell you all day long that I am a faithful member of the church. But James says, you've got to have something to show your faith. See, a lot of people are confused. They say, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Here's what religion is. Religion is simply the practice of a belief. So if you belong to this particular group, you're going to take their ideas, their belief system, and you're going to put it into practice. That's your religion. For the church of Christ, for the church that the Lord established, we take the belief system of the Lord Jesus Christ and we manifest it through our lives. We show it through our lives. Let's start to look at some of the scriptures that are mentioned here. First, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. This is going to tell us what our faith needs to be. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. It says, but without faith, it is, notice, impossible to please him. For, <clears throat> excuse me, <coughs> for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I think there's a pretty open-ended question that is oftentimes asked to different people, to members of the church and, and those outside. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe in God? And a lot of people would say, yes, I do. I believe that God exists. I think if you look into the world, I think if you look into the natural aspects of the world, you see the evidences. There has to be a designer for the design that is around us. I think uh, a lot of people would say that, that God exists. But that's not enough. The writer of Hebrews says, it's not just enough to believe that he is, but you have to believe that he is, but also that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And here's where I think a lot of Christians have an issue in their faith. They believe that God exists. They believe that God is real, but they don't understand or they don't really believe that God can do what he says he can do. When you are baptized, you come up out of that grave and you are washed, cleansed of your sins. But not just of your sin, you're cleansed of the iniquity of that sin. You're cleansed of the guilt that is upon your soul. You know where a lot of Christians struggle in their older age? How could God forgive someone like me? I believe those people believe in God. But where their faith struggle is not necessarily in the belief of an actual God. Where their faith struggles is they struggle to believe that he really will do what he says. God has made a variety of promises to the church. 
that we can live with him in eternity, that we can live a life free from sin, that we can turn away from the bondage of sin and live a life of righteousness, that we can leave darkness and be in his light. But do we really believe that God can take us from who we once were and turn us into his workmanship created for good works? Find your faith. Find the faith, not just that God exists, but find the faith that you believe that God will keep his promises. You know what God told the Christians in the first century? He said, I'm going to send my son back. Been like 1970 years since that initial promise, I think, given. There were some scoffers who arose in Peter's day, and they said, where is he? Since the beginning of time, it's, it's been the same. Since the beginning of the church, it's been the same. It promised that he's coming back, but he's not here. Where is he? Do we have faith that God will really do what he says he will do? James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Here's where the rubber meets the road. James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. If we want to have faith, we have to look for the evidence in Scripture, but then we have to turn it into a lifestyle. In chapter 1 and verse 19, he says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We have to be people who are quick to listen to God, quick to listen to his word, because a hasty judgment, wrath of man, will not produce righteousness, but God's word will. Verse 21, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes his, himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of works, this one will be blessed in what he does. Verse 26. If anyone among you thinks that he is religious, if anyone among you thinks that you have a faith that can be seen by man or faith that is in action and does not bridle his tongue, deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless or other translations vain. Verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, a lot of brethren want to focus on those particular things in the sense of visiting orphans and widows, keeping oneself unspotted. I think we can all agree that, that that's something we have to do. What James is saying here is you, you can't just hear what people are telling you. You have to take what people are telling you, compare it with the word of God, make your own decisions, make your own understanding, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling using the word of God, hold fast to that which is true, and then put it into action. I think all of us would say we believe in God. But what is our life saying? I think all of us say that we believe that God will take us to heaven. But what is our life saying? The next verse on the slide is, is uh, James chapter 2, and verses 14 through 16. We're not going to go into that because I'm just about out of time. But the idea that I wanted to bring out in that verse is just because one says that they believe does not mean that they are good to go. 
In fact, if you look at that entire context, James is speaking about those who are willing to show their faith to other people. Even the demons believe and tremble, but that doesn't mean they're going to make it to heaven. The demons won't be able to ride the coattail of anyone else into the gates of heaven simply because they say they believe. The ones who will make it to heaven are those who believe and those who produce that faith into action. How do I make my faith my own? Well, then faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You have to desire it. If you don't desire it, there's no use in going forward. I believe you desire it. And so as you desire it, you have to consider the evidence of God's word. You have to look at the information. You have to prove all things and then hold fast to that which is good. And as you have the evidence before you, then you start to put it into action. Faith is not simply verbal. It is not simply mental. It is something that is physically seen and observed in the church today. I hope it's been encouraging. I hope it's been uplifting. I hope it's been challenging as well. Because it's something that you will have to go through if you are not already going through it. It's something that I've had to go through. It's something that all of us in the church have to deal with. Is my faith mine? Thanks for your attention.